Kia ora. I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail... Out of COVID-19, the government's new coronavirus contact tracing app is now up and running. It's pretty straightforward. Um, it's not a big app. It doesn't take up a lot of space on your phone. So, you know, I really encourage people to, to go to the, uh, either the, the Apple store or, or through Google and, um, and download it. New Zealand has finally developed a contact tracing app for COVID-19. Nearly 100,000 people signed up in the 24 hours following its release. But how does it work? What sort of information are you giving away? Who's collecting it? And what if you don't actually have a smartphone? You've probably heard a lot about the idea of contact tracing. It's one of the chief weapons we have in the anti-COVID arsenal. And it really just means tracking. If someone tests positive for COVID, anyone who spent time in their immediate vicinity could be at risk. So it's important to know where they've been so we can figure out who else might be infected. Since retail shops and restaurants and so on opened up last week, the main method of contact tracing has been good old-fashioned pen and paper. You sign in at the front door, you give them your name and your contact details. Now, technology could make this a lot easier, but people can be a bit cautious about giving away their personal information. Dr Andrew Chen is a research fellow at Koi Tu, the Centre for Informed Futures at the University of Auckland. And I asked him exactly what this app does. So in the current form, it has two purposes. So one is to collect up-to-date details, um, and that's just so that the contact tracers can find you easily. Um, there's been a problem where uh, the contact tracers just haven't been able to call people because they don't have the right phone number. And so if you've been out of the health system for a while, then it might be quite helpful just to give them an up-to-date phone number so that they can call you in the event that they think that you might have been exposed to COVID-19. And that's a call that people probably want to take um, because if the government thinks you might have COVID, you probably want to know. Mm. And then the second function is just around helping people remember where they've been. So the second issue that the contact tracers reported was that they were interviewing people and they couldn't remember 31 days ago to which places they'd been to. And so the idea is that this app will allow you to scan your QR codes at different places um, and then it will keep a log so that when the contact tracer interviews you, um, you, you have something to prompt you to uh, remember where you might have been. Is this meant to be a replacement for the pen and paper sign-ins or sort of a, to complement it? Uh, it's a complement. So it's important to remember the two different groups that we're talking about here. So the government COVID app is to help the individual keep track of where they've been. The pen and paper registers are for the business to comply with the health and safety legislation and the public health response order. And so they serve two slightly different purposes, even though ultimately they are both to help with contact tracing. Um, so, no, it won't replace it for now. Um, I'm hopeful that in the next couple of weeks, uh, the government will look at how to streamline this process for people so that they don't have to do both. So, what kind of information does this app collect and who does it share that information with? What it's looking for is your name and your date of birth. And that, that those two are the primary things that they use to match you against the National Register of People. Um, you, you actually do have like a national health identification number, but most people have no idea what that number is. So there's no point in asking people for it. Um, and then uh, it'll ask you for your email address and your phone number so that they can contact you. It will ask you for your address. 
um, in case they can't contact you on your email address or phone number. Um, and then it asks for some demographic information around your uh, ethnicity and gender, just so that the, uh, the team at the Ministry of Health can figure out if they're um, serving all people or if there are pockets of po uh, people who are underserved. Um, all of this information is actually optional as well. Um, the, the app says recommended for some fields, but really it's all optional. So you don't have to provide it if you don't want to. Then on the uh, QR code side, all that's going to store on your phone is the place that you were at and the time you were there. Um, it's pretty simple. It doesn't do a lot more than that. Andrew mentioned QR codes there. These are a bit like barcodes on products you buy at the supermarket. Every business gets a unique QR code, which you scan using your smartphone, and it logs that data onto your smartphone. So there's a record of you having been in that business. But once that information's collected, what happens to it then? So right now, that information will only be on the phone. Um, and so you are in control over that. And in the uh, sort of privacy docs that the Ministry of Health have released, they actually say specifically that you don't even have to release the data to the Ministry of Health in that form. Um, so you don't have to show them your logs from the app if you don't want to. Um, the, the Health Act does say that if a contact tracer asks you for information about where you've been, you do have to tell them. Um, but you can do that in a different format than the COVID app if you want to. Okay, so you don't have to share it until you have to share it. Yeah, and so for most people, we're going to be hopeful that you'll never need to use this data because if you're not exposed to COVID, then you never need it. The data collection is a big scary thing and lots of people are probably a little bit scared of it. As you assess it, are there privacy concerns that pop out to you here or does it all seem reasonably above board? Yeah, so having gone through all of the documents, it seems pretty safe. Um, they've done all of the right things in terms of getting a privacy impact assessment and getting independent security audits. Um, and actually, because they're not storing very much data, it's probably fine. When you think about the personal information that they're asking for, you give way more information when you fill out the census than what is asked for in this app. And if you have Facebook, you're giving Facebook way more information than you're giving to this app. Um, and then the QR code stuff, that all stays on the phone at the moment. And so um, there aren't, other than if the system doesn't work, um, if the system works as it is described, then there aren't too many privacy concerns. And the Privacy Commissioner, John Edwards, says while there could be issues in theory, he's happy with how the app's looking for now. One of the things was I had some reservations about the utility of some of the Bluetooth technologies and location tracking technologies that have been trialled in other jurisdictions. I'm pleased to say that those are not a feature of the existing app and won't be added until they're confident that they can do that in a way that is really privacy protective. Uh, I mean, we just bring the principles of privacy by design. Does this minimize the amount of personal information that is held? Is it only going to be used for pandemic purposes? Is it going to be deleted when it is no longer required? Uh, is it voluntary? So all of those kinds of features that you would expect to find in a um, very privacy protective technology uh, we do find reflected in the Ministry of Health app. So like, this app is not asking me to give any more or any more personal information than 
pretty much any other app or service people might be signed up to online, Facebook or Twitter or even something like ASOS or, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond if you ordered a scented candle last week? Yeah, I would say probably less in most cases. Other countries have had COVID tracing apps since as far back as March. As the COVID-19 outbreak in Singapore drags on, authorities have decided to use a mobile app to help with the arduous task of finding close contacts of infected persons. And they want you to play your part. It's being billed as a vital weapon to defeat coronavirus. And tonight the government is pleading with you to pick up your phone and download its COVID safe tracing app. So why is New Zealand only getting around to it now after a solid two months of knowing this was going to be a big deal? Tom Barraclough is the director and co-founder of Brainbox, a tech research hub. I'm keen to understand um, what has gone on in the development of this app as well. And I think one of the difficulties that we've had is there isn't a lot of transparency to let us have insight into why it has taken the length of time that it has. I will say that this app, because of the way it's designed, is, is very unlikely to have privacy impacts and it's very unlikely to not work. In some ways, that's because it is quite limited in what it does. So if you compare that with some of the other apps overseas, they might be incredibly sophisticated, but they might not actually be generating much data that's useful or they might not be working. Um, you know, there was a really notorious issue, the app that came out of Singapore, where it wouldn't actually be tracing contacts unless you had the app open on your phone at all times. And it was interfering with sort of Bluetooth headphones and, and choking battery life and, and all kinds of things like that. So there is this trade-off between sophistication and the way that the app actually works and whether it's actually going to generate useful data. So um, it's really hard to assess how long it's actually taken and, and whether that is justified un, until we sort of have some insight into the kinds of decisions that were made behind the scenes to get to this point. Who made the decisions around an app? Who, with, with which government body does that rest? And why hasn't there been a huge amount of transparency around this development? That's a really good question. My understanding is that the Ministry of Health has been leading the development of the app. I honestly couldn't tell you who they've been speaking to behind the scenes about what the app needs to do or um, how it should be developed or who develops it or what the timeframes are or how it fits in with everything else in the policy system. I think um, this issue around business contact tracing as well and the fact that this app doesn't really touch the sides on that issue is, is really just a, a policy issue. So personally, I'm really keen to see some of the documentation, um, hear a little bit more from people involved in the process, just to understand how it all happened and how we wound up where we are, which is, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying where we are is bad. I'm just saying that there will have been trade-offs and there will have been decisions made behind the scenes. And we don't have line of sight on that at the moment. And I think New Zealanders across lots of communities, the tech sector, you know, the Māori community, the disability community, I think everybody has a right to see how we have got to this point, and I'd, I'd really like to see some transparency on that going forward. Why did we decide to develop our own app rather than just, you know, porting an existing one over from Australia? Why, why didn't we just use their one? Um, I'd love to see the documentation about that decision. Clearly, we have made that decision. I, I'm not sure who or where or when. I, I don't think it's a bad decision. So we needed to consider how New Zealand's app would 
interface with New Zealand's conditions and New Zealand's policy system. So one of the things that I do think is fantastic about this app is the way that it has the existing contact tracing team at the Ministry of Health front and centre. So there is this situation that could have developed and I think has developed in Australia, if I'm not incorrect, where a lot of the data actually being produced by the app isn't able to be used by contact tracers because it's in the wrong format or it measures the wrong things. Politicians, including Barnaby Joyce, have refused to download the official coronavirus tracing app. Other Liberal MPs have demanded data privacy guarantees despite the Prime Minister's assurance that people's privacy won't be compromised. It's based on an initiative in Singapore, but just 20% of the population there has signed up to use the technology. The federal government has already conceded it'll be a tough sell. The message, you have tested positive for COVID-19, appears if you tap the button reading, has a health official asked you to upload your data? It's not telling users they have coronavirus, but asking them to confirm that they've tested positive. Confusing design for which the health minister's making no apologies. Handing this to an independent regulatory authority that could provide scrutiny and transparency and accountability would be a a huge step forward. I do think it was a wise decision for New Zealand to develop its own app that fits with our, our domestic circumstances. But that's not to say there aren't limitations or foggy grey areas which don't neatly fit in a box. Because the QR codes are linked to New Zealand business numbers, they are linked to things that have or can have New Zealand business numbers. So, for example, it might be really difficult for me to create a QR code for my private home because I don't have a New Zealand business number. Mm. Whereas, actually, when it comes to contact tracing, it's probably really useful for me to have a record of the fact that I visited somebody else's private home. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we can't go to church yet, I don't think, can we? But were that to be the case, is a church a business? Can a church register for a New Zealand business number? Uh, it's a good question. We almost need a, a, an FAQ on um, who can get a New Zealand business number. But I think this is the point that I'm making, that if, if the government had even just tweeted, um, hi, we're thinking about using um, the New Zealand business number to generate QR codes. What do you think about that? Uh-huh. Then we could have got all kinds of insights from lots and lots of different people in the community, and that could have improved the design of this app. I mean, maybe there has been a lot of consultation behind the scenes, but again, without the uh, transparency that we generally expect of government policy, it's very difficult to cast any judgment about that. The other thing to note here, Emil, is that this stuff is really hard, and that's actually why government does consult, is because it's really hard and it helps to have a lot of different brains working on an issue, and it helps to consider it from a range of different perspectives. So it's not um, unprecedented for government to want to consult on something like this, and I can understand there was a need to move at speed. But at the same time, I I think that speed imperative has gone now. And I think so now we've got the time to return to a sort of proper consultative policy process. So I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more discussion on how the next phases of the app are going to be implemented and released. One of the next phases Tom Barraclough is talking about, there could be implementing Bluetooth technology into the app, like what's happened in Australia and Singapore. This basically means our smartphones talk to each other. If there are 10 people in a room, their smartphones all imprint on one another, which means if someone ends up getting COVID, there's an automatic digital footprint 
which can tell you exactly who they've been around. Sort of like we have now, except entirely automatic. The idea has its drawbacks, but Andrew Chen says it could be crucial if international travel is to restart. In the longer run, we will want to see more of these apps talking to each other across borders, because if we want to be able to open up our borders, uh, then we'll want to see interoperability between these different platforms. Yeah, that's a big problem, as Politico tech writer Mark Scott told Morning Report earlier this week. Uh, The problem being is some of these apps aren't going to work, and then if I'm going to be travelling, say, from France to Germany, uh, Northern Ireland to the Republic of Ireland, those apps won't communicate with the apps from the other country, meaning that if I'm going to be opening up borders, which frankly is what we all hope is going to happen at some point, it's going to make it very difficult to trace how the virus is spreading. But back to Andrew Chin. The Apple-Google protocol is one that is currently being suggested where uh, if they use the same underlying protocol in different countries, then you might be able to travel more easily and still participate in contact tracing systems in different countries. Um, but different countries uh, are saying yes or no to that proposal at the moment, um, and we still need to wait to see what bugs might come up. We need to sort of give it a good shake and check that it is doing what it's supposed to do, and that could all be months away. So. Having the app that we've got now is a good sort of first step, um, and, and we should be thinking that there will be more steps coming along later. But before we get to that point, we have to clean house a bit first, because the government's COVID app isn't the only one on the market. Several contact tracing apps already exist, and so a thing called interoperability becomes key. Interoperability is just about having different systems be able to be compatible with each other or talk to each other. Uh, Right now, we're in this situation where the government has released an app that has its own QR codes, um, and we've got all of these systems that were released last week that use different QR codes. And if you use an app with a QR code that's from a different system, then it won't be able to read it. We need to fix this, right? We need to find ourselves in a place where you'll be able to use any app to scan uh, the QR code, and, and it'll work. Um, so I think the Ministry of Health and MB are trying to encourage uh, the developers of these other apps to adopt their QR code system uh, or their QR code standard, and also to make sure that the data that's uh, reported by these apps to the contact tracers is in a standardized form so that the contact tracers are getting the information that they need. I think there are people at the moment who are using the New Zealand government app and just scanning all the QR codes and going, oh, this doesn't work. The New Zealand government app is useless. But actually, it's because they're scanning QR codes that were not produced by the New Zealand government system. And one of the problems is also that there have been these other developers who have done slightly dodgy things of putting uh, or, or using the New Zealand government branding to make their QR codes look more official. Um, and that has had the effect of confusing everyday people who are just trying to do the right thing. Which is perfectly understandable, really, and makes this whole app rollout seem, let's be honest, a bit messy. Here's Tom Barraclough. I think absolutely that issue could have been anticipated and avoided. And I think if there had been some detail shared, then most people in the tech community or even just in sort of service design and government could have pointed to the fact that having a whole sort of sheet of QR codes in each location would make things difficult. One thing I haven't seen too much discussion of around the app is is something called digital inclusion. So if you think about, even if we had a perfectly functioning app, 
um, how many people out there have smartphones or let alone smartphones, smartphones that are actually connected to the internet? And even if you have a smartphone and it's connected to the internet, how many people's cameras are working? So, you know, you might drop your phone and you've got a crack in the camera and all of a sudden you can't actually access the QR code function, for example. Mm. So one of the things that means that we can't just have this sort of like digital utopia is you have to implement these digital systems in the real world and um, the real world involves humans and humans are messy. Yeah, because I did actually think of sort of my beloved grandma who, bless her heart, wonderful woman, but uh, she, <laughs> she, I think she'd have a bit of a hard time figuring out how to use this app if I'm being honest. My grandparents have smartphones but no internet connection. So um, they are very tech-savvy people, but um, yeah, unfortunately they couldn't use the app. But the question remains, once COVID-19 is over, what then? Are we just normalising the idea of mass government surveillance? Andrew Chen says it's a slightly murky picture. Yeah, I think that it is opening a little bit of a Pandora's box and that is opening people's eyes to what is possible with the technology. But this stuff's been possible for probably five plus years already. Um, and lots of people are already opting in or uh, agreeing to being tracked by Google, for example, with Google Maps on a lot of Android phones. Um, I think that a lot of these systems that we're talking about at the moment, people that the companies and governments are very aware of the privacy concerns. And so they have all said that the data that is collected by these systems for the purposes of uh, managing the COVID-19 pandemic can only be used for the purposes of managing the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, these systems will be shut down and the data deleted when somebody decides that it's all over. Mm. Um, and, and so we have a little bit of confidence there that, people won't use these systems poorly afterwards. I think in the long run, we just need people to keep being aware of these sorts of issues and for us to have the appropriate checks and balances in place so that people can call out their governments if they think that their governments are doing something dodgy and that people can call out businesses if they think that businesses are doing something dodgy. Are you kind of freaked out by the idea of Bluetooth tracking? Because do you know what I mean? Like it kind of scares me a little bit. Yeah, I think that there's a trade-off here, right? Because they want to make it really easy to use. Um, and, and the easiest thing that they can do is basically download it onto your phone and you push a button and it works, right? But the trade-off there is that people aren't necessarily making informed decisions and they're not getting the information that they need. And so they might feel that it's a bit weird and creepy. And, and so that's a really hard trade-off, right? Because if you really want to be informed about this, we can put a 200-page terms and conditions and privacy policy and how it works document in front of you. But how many people are going to read that? And, and this is a classic issue in technology because people fear what they don't know and don't understand, but they also don't necessarily want to know or understand. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get the detail downloaded free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you don't have a smartphone, you can listen on the RNZ Newsroom or Stuff websites too. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Tom Barraclough and Andrew Chen and John Edwards who spoke to Jesse Chang. Ka kite anō. 